Hello and welcome to the Celtic Women's Football Show. I am your host, Claire Wilde, and he is with me. He's Lorenzo Pacitti. Hello, Lorenzo. Hello. Good evening. How are we? I'm very well. The sun is shining. Um, we've won a few football matches. I mean, things are looking good. <laughs> yeah, this is this is how we want to be entering these podcasts. I feel like over the last few years, we're always there or thereabouts. But at this point in the season... We've kind of been out there running for a couple of things. It's all been about the cup and it's all been about this. But there's a lot to there's like a lot look forward to. There's a lot on the line. It's quite intense. Stake. And I'm feeling better than I was. Apologies for my slightly raspy voice um, last week. But I feel like I'm on the mend. I don't know if you heard uh, Bristol City got promoted this weekend. And mm-hmm. uh, Abby Harrison, our Scottish international who plays for British, did you see the interview with her did, where she basically had like no voice left after all this shouting at the weekend? It was so funny. She's she's a good player. Like she's somebody I feel like we talk about the kind of Scotland squad not getting enough of a shake up. Yeah, um, I feel like now she's in the Premier League. Uh, you know, in a different world where Celtic and Rangers and City are, you know as big as they kind of should be in terms of the men's game mixing with the women's game blah blah mm-hmm. she's somebody I'd like to see at Celtic bad. she's also probably a Rangers fan because she's a professional football player in Scotland so no I reckon I, she, I, like I think I don't know I think she might I don't know who knows <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she went to like Holyrood like Chris old school um, alright but so you know I don't know uh, shall we just get straight into it and talk about the fact that we have had continued success this weekend after feeling, well, I don't know, I was feeling quite nervous about it. Um, how were you feeling before the semi-final about this game? Probably more nervous in the week than I was on the day. I feel uh-huh. like on the day it was like, you know, fun to be going to Hamden. It was exciting. It was a, a big event. It was going to be nice. Um and then when you saw the kind of size of the pitch and the scale of the game and stuff, I, th- I just felt like that big game Celtic kind of came out where I uh-huh. thought, if it goes, you know, any way today, I feel like we're always going to be in with a shout. I don't think we're going to get run over, uh, which is always good to feel like this is a team that can compete. And uh, yeah, the the excitement was there for, even if it was going to be tense and tight at the end, you were going to, you know, feel something today. I felt like that's such an important thing about watching Celtic in these big games and the cup games as well, that you're like... You're gonna feel it. You're gonna be part of something. It's gonna be intense, and as much as that can be a strain and stressful, it's fun. You know, it's fun to be following this team. I mean, we certainly felt things. I think that it was funny because since we talked last week, and obviously we looked ahead to this game as well. But since we had recorded, you know, a few things had happened in terms of Caitlin Hayes potentially being injured, which was a big one for me in the lead up. I was really, really worried about that. Um, and also, obviously, the fact that Glasgow City had had this the other huge game against Rangers, which they'd lost. So you're thinking, you know, that their attitude towards going into this game was going to be completely different. Like they really, really had something to prove going in on Sunday, which kind of like made me have the jitters a wee bit. But also, I think it was the the possibility that we would be missing Caitlin Hayes suddenly loomed huge. Yeah, I feel like Caitlin Hayes is... Such a big player for us that if she was missing from any game of any kind of stature, I think we'd go in as underdogs. I really think she makes that much of a difference. That back line, the intensity she brings, how important she is to how we start attacks. There's really no way to picture this Celtic, which is worrying in itself because it's one player and (laughs) players can't play every game forever. Um, You know, if you take Keaton Hughes at that team, it really doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really scary and I felt like because we hadn't had any more noise come out and there hadn't been any official confirmation I didn't feel like she was going to be missing from it I felt like it was you know always going to turn out good quite optimistic with this women's team but yeah that would have been that's the big trepidation and probably played into why the week was way more nerve-wracking than the day <laughs> I think that I was hearing a couple of rumours I heard from people who were at the game in Edinburgh uh, where she came off and also a couple of things in the week that weren't so positive that Mm. made me think oh my god she's not playing and I don't maybe I just I think I just didn't text you about it because I thought there's no point getting everyone stressed about this (laughs) I appreciate that um so when I saw her on the lineup let's go through let's go through the lineup um because we were obviously delighted that she was playing it was of course Pam in goals um Clara Reardon 
Um, I'm reading this off the Scottish Cup website. So, of course, it's all not in an order that I'm used to. I'll just go through in the order they've written. But Clara Ridden, Lisa Robertson, Natalie Ross, Amy Gallagher, Jacinta, Kelly Clark, Hannah Kerner, Caitlin Hayes, uh, Natasha Flint and Shen Mengli. So really in a team that we would have kind of have come to expect from Fran, considering who he's played the last few games, no massive surprises. No, I think that's going to be nice because we talked about up top, you know, for these big games when they come thick and fast, is Flint going to cement herself as that big game player? Uh, are we going to have a starting eleven we'd like to see and a consistent starting eleven across these massive games to end the season? It's no point chopping and changing and trying to uh, blood new players when the games are coming this big, this thick and fast. I think the only kind of thing for me that might have been up in there or up for debate would have been O'Reardon or or um, Chloe Craig. Chloe Craig. All, <laughs> see when the, the names all overlap. Or Chloe Craig to start. Um, that would have been like a, 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 a kind of point of contention for me, and I think that proved during the game to be a debate that maybe still needs had for other games. But uh, I think that, that w- a debate still. that was being had during the first half. <laughs> yes, but I think it's good that the lineup in general picks itself, and we've got to that point now as the run-in starts, as the big games are here that we can all kind of name the starting 11. Like, that's huge. Yeah. Um, just to name the substitutes, because it'll have been, obviously, the opportunity to be on the bench and then to come off the bench at Hamden would have been huge because we forget that, you know, it is really historic that we played these games there. Um, you've got Chloe Logan, Taylor Otto, Chloe Craig on the bench, um, Shen, Olivia Ferguson, K- Kit Lefersky, Tegan Bowie, Claire Goldie and Maria McEnany. Um, Again, no real surprises there and some players that you're absolutely probably expecting to see come on at some point and others that you might not be sure about depending what happens in the game. I'm still excited to have like a goalkeeper of that quality on the bench considering all the trouble we've had. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know if you have that feeling as well. Yeah, I mean, touch wood, obviously, that we've, we've got over the hoodoo of just goalkeepers just getting injured non-stop. But yeah. like you say, to have players that fit again, the experience of Pam, the quality of Pam, potentially the sign of the season, you know, something we'll talk about at the end of the end of the season. But it's made a huge difference. And I think just for that reliability, um, the fact that if the keeper ever did have to get rotated out, the defence trusts the keeper behind so much as well. Um, it's nobody new. It's nobody completely new to the the professional game even are really young it's just it's really it's a big deal and it's something that settles us down as fans and I'd, I'd assume the solidity of that defence that doesn't really change either you know to know that they've got a consistency in the keepers is, is really big yeah definitely um, I guess the only other thing to mention when we're talking about personnel is the fact that we're seeing Robertson and Ross which we really like in midfield and they seem to be putting in really good performances during these games but that will obviously there's potential for that to change when chance comes back we don't know what's happening with her injury we've got hopefully a press conference this week which will give us an opportunity to ask about availability of players and kind of what's happened after the weekend but um you know that's just a not that's just an extra option at the end of the day isn't it yeah i mean you know we'll talk about the game but there's there's always games that games go through ebbs and flows and as much as we've been quite consistent the past few weeks with you know, Lisa and Natalie is our, our two centre midfielders. It fills us with confidence for big games. It tells us we're going to win the midfield battle. You know, there was times in this game and there'll be times in other big games that are tight where you really miss Liv's chance, kind of unlocking a defence or, or being confident on the ball and being able to move forward with it and pick out wingers. So, you know, it's not just like a rotation option or a, a good sub. She's somebody that offers something completely different. And there's going to be times in these big games where we need that. So the quicker Liv's chances fit the better. Um, also the fact that we w- won't have Ross available for the final at the end of the Didn't May. want to say that loud. That <laughs> makes it real. We're going to have to get there. Um, well, let's talk about it when we get to the end of the game. We are going to talk about the actual football, I promise you, but, um, I don't think we can probably talk about this game without talking about the fact that it was at Hamden, what the atmosphere was like, what it felt like in the stadium. Um, what was your feeling about all of that, Lorenzo? Yeah, I mean, really easy. You know, again, we're we're both pretty local to Hamden, so it's it's nice to go to like a big game there. And even just it was cool that the stand was you know where the main entrance is, so you're kind of rocking up to Hamden, and it's mm-hmm. nice and easy to get in. 
I will say the idea that you can't buy tickets on the day for a game of this magnitude where we're desperate for new fans, we're desperate for people to make that decision on the day. That's how most people get into new things, new games. Mm-hmm. Uh, games that aren't sellouts, you know, it's not like every week there aren't tickets on the door, but for almost every other club in the country there is, and that's how they get new fans in. I don't know if it's a logistical issue of not wanting to pay, you know, a number of extra staff to to man the gates or to, or whatever, but, you know, we've been to games where it's all QR code scanning, there's no extra kind of manpower needed. Um, Hamden has QR scanners on the turnstiles that aren't manned. That, to me, is insane. And it's just a huge roadblock in making these semi-finals as big as they could have been. So we saw, you know, really good attendances, really good crowds, people having a lot of fun, uh, really engaged in that separating of the fans as well that makes it more like a derby and a big semi-final. But I just feel like we're missing just hundreds, potentially thousands of fans with that on-the-day, Sunday-free the weather wasn't as good as it was the day before, no. but you know, even... it wasn't raining. The, no. the weather was weird. It did kind of because the stadium is so big, and because I think it was something like an eighteen hundred something. I've I realised I should I should have before we started recording remembered the exact figure, but I haven't got it in front of me. <laughs> um, but it, it was a good attendance for a game like that, especially for all, everyone paying. I think most of the people there were would have been paying for their tickets but it is a big stadium to have a relatively small crowd like that I'm kind of you know I go to a lot of the um women's national team games there which bigger crowds but still you're only filling that one half of the stand so but yeah I thought the atmosphere was kind of like tense and odd even before everything had kicked off it was nice as well that we had the the new supporters club had put all the paper yeah. under our seats and we got to do a little like su- supportive green and white stripes thing as the team was coming out. Yeah, I thought it looked great as well when we saw the pictures of it afterwards. It's something that's so simple and obviously there's a reason the Green Brigade, you know, do these fundraisers. Stuff like that is hard. So I th- for some reason I would never have thought of it literally you only need no white sheet of paper. <laughs> you know, to start off with. For yeah. some reason when I saw that at my uh, seat, I was like, of course it's just this. Of course this is where it all starts. Um, but fair play to them, you know, it's something that's that's going to need to be happening going forward. The more this club grows, we grassroots things like that, supporters clubs, younger people getting involved, people making it their kind of main team mm. um, is something that needs to happen. So that was really exciting to see. And I thought that really contributed to the atmosphere at the start because everyone was involved. Everyone held up their card. There wasn't anybody kind of even confused as to what it might be. So I thought that was kind of like a little, almost yeah. like a thing that bonds the people that are there. We're all sitting really close to each other. There's not like spare seats in between. It's like, you know, a little away support almost. So I thought that was really good. Yeah, it was really good. And like huge props to the people who organized that, um, who've set up that club. Um, We've retweeted them a couple of times. I think before the end of the month is out, you can enter their competition to design the logo for the new women's CSE, which is fun and exciting. So have a wee look at that. Um... Let's talk about the actual football and the and the game on Sunday. What were your kind of overarching thoughts on what kind of a game of football it was? Um, much like the semi-final the day before, I thought it was really kind of characterised by being more tense than free-flowing. Uh, it wasn't as fun to watch as the game the week before. I think for the neutral as well, you know, I think we predicted, I'd predicted in the podcast earlier in the week that it would be a mad game with tons of goals, big open pitch. I don't necessarily think the football was like cagey. I just think both teams neutralised each, each other quite a lot. It was very semi-finalish. Semi-finals are very often safety over mm-hmm. risk. Um, so that was kind of expected once, you know, in hindsight about it being a semi. But it wasn't the best game ever. Uh, but I think it does, again, just show how even we are I think as the top three teams in this league. There's a lot of really, really even individual battles. Uh, the most interesting thing that was going on in the game were those individual battles between the, the kind of star players. Uh-huh. Just seeing how like Hannah Kerner could cope with Chinchilla's pace and her experience and seeing her get the better of her sometimes. Um, I don't think MD kind of outperformed their opposite number too much. Uh, maybe just the keepers. But yeah. it was a really, really close game, really tense game. Um, filled with kind of good quality football in the middle of the park with like nervy decisions in the final third. Uh, but in general, that was that was kind of how it went. Yeah, um, 
Absolutely. I think as well, the fact that, I mean, was it two yellow cards within the first five minutes? I mean, the referee... Three, three within the first like, Three seven, within the first seven or something. It was it was really stop-start. I, I felt like we started... We'll talk about what our performance was like, but I felt like we did start reasonably strong. But a lot of the game was characterised by how it started with that kind of stop-start, lots of free kicks being given. Obviously, the referee being very... Um, handy with the cards. I don't know what you made of that straight off um, indoors. <laughs> yeah, I thought we started really well. Actually, make a good point. We started quite fast, and if the referee hadn't kind of put a stop to that, maybe the game would have continued like that. The early yellow cards, I could maybe have seen. I think it was Oscarson had like two, you know, sharp pulls that stopped Lou getting away. I could maybe see why why that's a yellow. You know, those two because they're two quite cynical fouls early on. Um, but the decision to book the other two was insane. Uh, really just kind of no need. It's that way the game's kicking off. It's a semi-final. You know, you want it to be quite intense and free-flowing and I think the referee has a duty to make sure a game doesn't start in that way mm. and doesn't start with players cautious. I mean, you saw the rest of the half. I think players were really cautious to even put a tackle in yeah. uh, because every time they did, it seemed to be a foul. There were a lot of insane decisions. Um, refereeing in general was really pedantic. You know, we'll get on to the most pedantic thing I've ever seen at a football game later, but I thought the <laughs> refereeing in general was just, we see it quite a lot in, a, in the women's game. And I don't know if it's because obviously referees, there's a different kind of refereeing when you're doing the women's game because it's not, you know, the highly scrutinised TV of the men's game. It's like, a, you're maybe a bit, they're maybe a bit younger and a bit greener and this is maybe where they start and they want the attention. I don't know. I don't like referees in general. We but also like don't it, have these kind of referee, you know, in the men's game, we're, we're used to the names of the referees. We know all of their names and faces and what our opinions are about them. We kind of don't know much about the referees in the women's game. So we just, you have to go on what you're seeing on the pitch. And sometimes, yeah, you do see some odd decisions. I felt like straight away, I mean, Lou got down that left-hand side straight away. She completely showed her intent. We had a corner within about a minute based on what she was pulling off. Just her and Jacinta were linking up in a really nice way all the way down that left-hand side. And I think it took like, within the first five minutes, Pamela hardly saw the ball. Um, yep. And Glasgow City in the first even 10 minutes were just really not moving anything forward at all. Yeah, they were kind of in survival mode at the start. And I think that was clearly Fran's tactic is to just, you know, get on the front foot nice and early. We've seen us... When we lose to Glasgow City, it's because we kind of let them dominate the ball mm -hmm. too much um, and kind of get their rhythm. I think we really threw them out their rhythm. And the only thing that brought them back onto that even keel, as you said, was the, the, the decisions to slow the game down, the stop-start nature of the game. When a game is stop-start, 10, 15 minutes in, you're really setting us up for, for failure. And as you said, Lou was running riot down that wing until after 10, 15 minutes, I felt like Oscarson got a grip of her a wee bit, the game mm. settled down, Lou had less open space to run into. Oscarson's a really good player. I think she's she's defended really well in games we played against them. Uh, and she kind of got a hold of Lou before Lou could do damage with an early goal. Uh, but we started at such a pace, it is a shame that it got kind of cold. Yeah. Some of the touching and turning, because obviously for that first half as well, we were closer to Lou and we were able to see what she was doing. But some of the tiny little spaces that she is able to take a touch and turn and then actually start a run from is just, I, I could watch that all day. <laughs> I just love it so yeah. much. <laughs> when she, when she does times where she receives a ball where it looks like, it almost looks like she's not bothering to react until suddenly she's away. Yeah. You know, she receives it so casually sometimes that you want her just to go, <laughs> you know, turn around and take somebody on. And she's already thought about that. And she just bursts away with this kind of electric acceleration. So she's she was on it, I think, for the start of this, that first half. She quietened down a little bit uh, for the rest of the half. But again, I think it was just the game had really just, it doesn't suit Lou for a game to mm. be really static because she doesn't get the chance to take players on when they're kind of on their heels. Mm. As soon as she catches somebody on their heels, she completely does them. Yeah. Um, it started to be a bit more to and fro. There was a couple of like Chinchia making a run and getting a ball up to um, Hayley Lauder, which looked like it might turn into something, but went straight to the arms of our stupendous goalkeeper, Pamela Tachona. Um I mean, the goal comes at like 20 minutes. Was there anything before that? Did, did you feel like it was coming? Did you feel like this was ours to kind of like start the ball rolling as it were in terms of goals 
I feel like we carried much more of a threat when we were in the final third. I think City were probably had more chances is too strong a word. You know, they had more kind of inroads um, after the first kind of 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, but every time Celtic got near the, the City goal, if there's something felt like it was going to happen or even just that threat of a set piece, threat of a corner, mm-hmm. they really didn't want to give one away. Um, I think Chinchilla really got stung as well by the, the game being kind of broken down a lot because she had a lot of really good chances, but it just felt like every time she had a break on the ball, Kerner was able to catch up with her and she yeah. didn't get a chance to kind of turn the defence. And that was, that's credit to Kerner and credit to Hayes down that side. But Chinchilla just had so much quality. I felt like she was having to kind of drag City along a little bit until Lauren Davidson got into the game. Yeah. Um, but when we scored, it just felt like it wasn't so much that it was coming but at some point you felt a Celtic goal was inevitable just because of how dangerous we seemed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the goal comes from something that looked like, you know, and I think uh, Caitlin Hayes talked about it after the game when she was being interviewed. You know, that's that's a move that they know what they're doing when when Caitlin Hayes is kind of up towards the halfway line and she puts that ball through. They will have practiced that over and over again. And it's just really great to see it, like, coming off in the way that it did have you got anything to, else to add about the description of how the goal unfolded <laughs> yeah i think city should be absolutely raging with themselves mainly because as you say it's such a classic move of this team and they give hayes so much space like the last thing you want because you know it's like the trigger of a celtic attack is Hayes stepping up past halfway line because you know all she's doing is looking for one of the strikers um so i couldn't believe how much space they gave her and then the fact they get caught in their heels, you know, Flint makes a great run. As you say, it's clearly like a planned run. Everyone's looking for it. He's and Flint are on the same page. But how the city centre-backs aren't on that page is insane to me because it's mm. so, you know, typical of Celtic. It's so trademark of Celtic. And I think the city coaching staff seemed really frustrated with it because that is like, it's like that brass eye sketch. Like, this is the last thing we wanted to happen. You know, it's so <laughs> obvious when it happens. And I think Flint, you know, made a great run took her goal really well, really composed. And it's that big game finishing, which we we signed her for, that she's pulling off now. And you've got, of course, Lee Gibson being completely outraged as soon as the goal goes in, as is her want to be completely outraged when anything like that happens. <laughs> I know. She needs to just save save the goals, I think, maybe. maybe make them <laughs> um, I think it was a call for offside, but I think as um, Rachel Corsi, who was on the commentary, said when I was watching it back, you know, even if there is an offside issue to be called which is I think it's impossible to go back and call it obviously we haven't got VAR or anything to to look back at like the fact that they've let because you've got Amy and Natasha kind of who are there ready to like you said receive those balls from Caitlin Hayes they have to be more on it and I think probably that ultimately what made the difference throughout the whole of this game was at this point in my notes I've just written I want to talk about our defense. I want to talk about Kelly Clark as well and like how good she was because we so often kind of, I think, overlook her. And she's such a solidly kind of reliable middle person to have in that back line with Caitlin, who can obviously do exactly what you described, moving up the pitch and putting those balls into people like Lou um, and Tash. But I just thought our defense on the day really made the difference they were so solid even when Glasgow City were moving forward and looking like they were going to create I never really didn't trust them to deal with it yeah there's a lot of balls across the face a lot of times where Shinchia would break free or would find Davidson and it would just seem like they were about to kind of beat the defender it was about to happen and Kelly in particular stopped a couple of really really good chances for Davidson who top scorer in the league you know, she's lethal on both feet. She's one By of the most... a long stretch as well. Yeah. I think when you've got a one-on-one with Davidson, her ability to be, to play with both feet is really unique in this league, I think, as well. There's not a lot of really naturally two-footed players that we come up against. And Kelly marshaled her so well. She didn't let her get any free shots away. Everything she did, there's a reason why if she got a shot on target, it went right to Pamela's hands mm. because the defence has just marshaled her so well. You know, they used that back three so rigidly. There was... Players were not getting dragged out of position. I think Kelly's so good at being really disciplined as well and holding that middle line. I think mm. there's a tendency for players who play in the middle of the three to come out and try and stop attacks too much or get dragged to one side as like a double team and leave a big open space. Kelly's really, really good at making sure her priority is that middle of the box and stopping any threats that come in. Mm. And I think she did such a good job because when you're up against City, you're, the main threats are... Chinchia and Davidson getting you one-on-one and turning you. 
Mm. And I think every time they did, Hayes, Clark, uh, Kerner as well, just really defended that really, really well. Yeah, um, one particular run that Lauren Davison made springs to mind for me. I can sort of see it in my mind's eye where Kelly just, she does get kind of so close to goal and she just cuts off the angle for her, just makes it so that she just hasn't, she hasn't got the ability to put it in. Um, Before we kind of get towards half time, there's another, the ball does go in the back of the net one more time for us and it's called offside. I don't know if you've, You've obviously rewatched it now. I don't know what you thought. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, not the best angles. I mean, I'll say I watched um, I watched the game again, scrubbing through, mainly because I thought I'll watch the highlights, see what they're like. The Scottish Cup YouTube highlights are appalling. There's like three or four replays that don't start at the beginning of what they're replaying, uh, which is insane. <laughs> but there's never there's not a very good angle on the offsides in general. But it does look like Amy's pretty pretty offside. Um, there's no real complaints from Celtic either but I think if you were City again conceding two to that it's very much I mean we are really good at it you know there's not too much you can do when the ball's as good as Jacinta's ball is and Amy's so good at playing off that last defender and it was a great finish so yeah. it's a shame it was offside because it would have been another typically like a typical Celtic goal um, and a real morale like killer I think for City if they conceded two like that uh, but it's a, it looked offside Especially at that point in the game, which was worrying because as soon as that happened, they kind of had a little burst of yep. like energy to kind of try and get something back before half time. Um, again, it was Davidson who kind of made a move and punted the ball from outside the box, but it was a pretty good <laughs> punt. But it, it that was a, I guess, Pamela's first really cracking save of the game. Yeah, Pamela has just been pulling out so many good saves for us in big games. Um, you know, the only mistake I can really think of Pamela making was giving away that penalty against Rangers when mm-hmm. she'd also had like the best game of the season. Yeah. In that game, so there's only so much you can you could criticize. Um the decision to bring in Pamela when we have great keepers, you know, who were kind of waiting on injuries coming back, there's teams that would, you know, not commit to a new keeper knowing that they have a keeper they like, just to wait for her to come back. Let's like fill the gaps in. Uh, to go get Pamela with her experience, she's proved, you know, potentially league winning if we if we do win it. She's cup winning if we do win it. The saves she's made in big games are not saves that are standard for keepers we've had or keepers in this league. Uh, and she pulls them out with such consistency and she makes really good decisions. You'll see her tip things over the bar really strongly instead of trying to palm them down, instead of catch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just way more confident with uh, Tahanar in the sticks when we're playing up a game than than any keeper in this league would give me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are some good keepers in this league. I think as we were, we were sitting near each other um, at the game and there was kind of mutterings towards the end of that first half that we did think that there would be a sub. I think we could see, obviously you've got players warming up throughout the match just in case anything happens but it felt like there was going to be a Chloe Craig substitution for Claire we mentioned at the beginning that that would have been like another obvious choice if he was going to change the lineup at all um did you think that was coming in and do you think it was needed yeah I mean it's not nice to get uh somebody at half time but I think it was a proactive change and I really support it I think that's important for a manager to have the the bravery to make a proactive change at half time because it's not the nicest time to sub somebody off. Um, but I just don't think it was really working for O'Riordan mm. uh, on Sunday. A lot of passes were going astray. Um, she was getting turned by Davidson a wee bit. It just didn't seem to be to be working for her. And one thing you would get off Craigie or you'd expect to get off Craigie is, is better ball retention mm-hmm. and better distribution. Um, and then she has a ton of experience. She's a threat from set pieces. You know, she's a good sub to be able to make. Yeah. Uh, so it was something we'd voiced during the half and to see her warming up it did feel like it was coming um, because we were trying to start a lot of attacks down that side and it's very important for whoever's feeding Lou you know to be making the right decisions and not getting her in trouble and and giving her the appropriate pass so I think it was a sub that made sense and I think credit to to Fran for having the, the balls to make it. Yeah um, I totally agree I think like how do you think we came out for the second half that it was it was a very different half than the first half wasn't it and it's it's a weird position to be in in a game like that especially where it is a bit cagey and it is a bit stop start and the stakes are so enormous and you're a goal up which 
you're ahead but like i found i found this second half personally for me a bit of an emotionally draining experience (laughs) (laughs) i think the second half was pretty garbage from a kind of neutral (laughs) footballing perspective and again i think a lot of that is through the referee i really the stop start nature of the second half was really really bad um it really made both teams both teams play really good football usually, you know, City and Celtic. I think we're we're lucky as fans that in these big derby games, uh, the the three teams that are involved play good football. Nobody mm-hmm. likes to sit back really, nobody likes to stunt the game and and have a lot of breakdowns of play. So we're usually blessed with pretty good football in these derby games. So to have it stop started by nothing fouls, uh, advantages that were not given at all and things were pulled back for nothing. Uh, it really just slowed everything down. I think City, in hindsight, um, you know, it didn't work for either team. City are the kind of team that need to be on the front foot and they never really get a chance to be. No. Uh, and that was thanks to our defence, but also thanks to the referee. And so I just think the second half in general was was pretty poor. And it's the, the credit has to go to, I think, the mental fortitude of the players to stay really disciplined, to do the job. Uh, I think every player tried their best to play their football, but it was credit to our defence and our midfield for kind of holding that lead because they could have easily got frustrated, could have easily let City have a ton of the ball, but we kind of played our game still as best we could. It wasn't very free flowing attacking. Yeah. There wasn't a lot to kind of to go off on that sense, but it still did feel that every time we entered that final third, maybe it is the threat of it going behind for a corner, but there felt like a, an anxiety in the City defence and it felt like at some point we could, you know, grab a wee chance to kill this game. Whereas when City were attacking, it did feel like they were hitting a brick wall quite a lot. Yeah, it really did. And I do think I've written down that I felt like they were making more of the play in the second half. They had the ball. If I don't know. I haven't got the stats in front of me. We haven't got those yet. But like watching the game, it felt like certainly they had the ball more than they'd had it in the first half. But again, like you said, they were kind of hitting a brick wall and our defense was doing such a good job. And I totally agree with you that did because when we have had losses that have really hurt us, sometimes it has been felt like those momentary lapses of concentration in games like that, where it has been a bit bitty and a bit kind of to and fro. And it's like just keeping that focus was really, really important. And I probably think that that might have been part of the reason that that substitute was made for the bat line at halftime as well. Like, let's keep this completely fresh and and completely focused so that we absolutely don't let City get away with anything. And that you know in that respect it wasn't that stressful to watch it was just like you said not the most pretty half of football we yeah. then move on to i don't know what we're calling earring gate maybe i mean <laughs> we, we I, go I, to I, make I, a sub 68 minutes <laughs> kit lefersky's coming on everyone's happy gallica's coming off she's done a power of work it's a substitution that makes sense She's wearing an earring, apparently. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I just feel like it, it. So they don't let her on because she's wearing an earring. Fine. So she Whatever. gets sent back to take the earring out. So this so is I, for anyone for anyone who didn't see this because I don't know how much of it was. I think I we were watching it back on the YouTube and it does show it a bit. But like being in the stadium while this was going on because we were reasonably close to the back of the dugout so we could kind of see it all happening in real time and it was absolutely wild wasn't it Lorenzo there was three physios involved there was somebody from the crowd uh, <laughs> yeah. and it felt like you Liv, know, Liv Ferguson ran over at one point ready to get involved to try and help yeah and it's like okay so let's take the earring out and I'm asking my girlfriend because I don't know you know what earring is in here that's so violently refusing <laughs> to come out and she's kind of saying what it might be something that would be really tough to get out or maybe you couldn't get out but if that is the case, why, why isn't, isn't every out? other game she's played, been, she's been told you can't wear that or you've got to get that out? It's clearly something that's not been a big deal before. I highly doubt, you know, the night before she goes to Hamden to play a semi-final, she puts a, you know, lethal earring in her ear that is impossible <laughs> to get out and that's her decision. It just feels insane that nobody brought it up before. They, then, never been they, issue they before. clearly try and stick tape over it, which is a, obviously a tactic that... Natalie Ross uses every single game she plays. She doesn't take her earring out. She has a wee bit of white tape on one of on her right ear. That was rejected by the official and she was sent yep. back again. So we were six minutes with 10 players on the pitch and I was stressed out during that six minutes, which felt like a lot longer. I don't know how you were feeling. 
Yeah, I thought it was uh, pathetic from the officials, as you said. We, there's players on that part with tape over their earrings. Uh, I don't, I don't understand why she couldn't have taped up. She tried to. Um, it then looked like you know after so basically Fran had to make the call. For me, I would probably have made it earlier just because it really seemed like this earring was not budging uh, to just sub kit off for another player because we can't play with ten players. Um, he had to make that call. He clearly wanted Kit on. I think Kit would have really suited the game as well. It would have been a, a good sub to make. It was a sub we expected, sub he probably planned for. But I just think the decision not to let her on, and you know, after the sub was made, and it was a case of you, you know, you're not coming on. The physios were still with her for five, ten minutes, so she must have tried to rip it out, or somebody's tried to rip it out. Now she's gone through all that oh, for nothing. Yeah. We, it'd be nice to get some clarity on it, but at the same time. You know, it become a kind of a kind of circus. So maybe we should just forget it ever happened and <laughs> hope she's sorted it for the for the final. Yeah, and so then he makes the decision to sub the sub essentially, um, and brings Shen on, which I was actually pretty pleased to see. I was weirdly like, oh, okay, let's try and look at this as a positive: the fact that we're now getting an opportunity to get Shen involved in this game, and that maybe she she has been a player who's come on and made a really big difference in games in the past, and she kind of hasn't had the opportunity necessarily recently to do that. And I don't necessarily think she did do it because it wasn't that type of game, but it was good to see her get some time on the pitch at Hamden. Yeah, and I think Shen is, um, you know, the go-to. Sounds silly, but if you were going to make that sub, you were going to bring somebody on who can just fit that fit any role you want. It's Shen. We've seen Shen in Cup Finals play it right back for us. You know, she's full of running. She makes really smart decisions. She's tidy on the ball. She is somebody who you want to see a one 0 win with. I think. Mm. Uh, so when it couldn't be kept to kind of stretch the defence, you had to go for Plan B, which was to solidify. And I think Shen makes sense there because she can carry the ball in a forward position while really contributing defensively and, and keeping it tight and tidy. So it was good to see her. And now she put in a good shift and she's somebody we can definitely rely on off the bench. She's got, you know, ways to go to work away back in that starting 11 just because the nature of the positions. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you'd never, you're never worried about seeing Shen on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we did some really, really good things in the second half of that second half um, to retain that 1-0 lead. I think Hayes, we can't praise her enough for some of the work that she did. You know, Lauren Davidson, th- there was one point where she got the ball off Lauren Davidson making a run, which is just, that's you could yeah. watch that over and over and over again. Um, there was a wee opportunity for Jazz to maybe get something away that she didn't quite pull off. That could have been our second goal, maybe. <laughs> yeah, things were not quite coming off for Jazz the whole day. It uh, felt for her, again, I think it's the same city would be saying on the Chinchia side. The game was just a little bit too bitty for the creative players to have too much control over it. Uh you know, you were you were begging for somebody to take control of it and show one moment of quality that kind of bursts through the nature of the game. And Jazz had a few good moves that just didn't quite come off. Things weren't quite falling for MD. It's just one of those days. Yeah. But I think she, she had a good performance in general, just not maybe what she would have wanted on the, the big pitch at Hamden. Um, she comes off at 85 minutes, as does Lisa Robertson and Liv Ferguson and Taylor Otto come on. Were those again... I think we were all assuming that there would be a significant amount of time added on just because of all the stop starting and the injuries. Um, so we did need people who could see out for, it wasn't a few minutes, it would have been at least 10, I think. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Otto is a sub to see games out, these big games. It's becoming kind of a thing now. Um, she's a very versatile defender. She, you know, has played in the midfield, so you can trust her a wee bit to make good decisions, but She's somebody who provides height, she provides cover, she's really good at kind of last-ditch defending, getting her body on the line. And Liv Ferguson's the same, she will run for you all day. She's great to stretch the defence when you want to clear your lines. Um, really commit, again, just makes kind of good calls, I think, at the end of a game. So these are good subs to have, and it's good that we have this kind of rhythm of big games. If we're getting to the end of it and we want to see it out, we do have very obvious subs to make, which wow. I think is is good. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about their subs, the fact that they brought on, first of all, James Forrest's little sister. Um, Is it actually James Forrest's little sister? Yeah, because I, I, I've looked into this a few times and because obviously information about the women's game is scarce it's sometimes tricky to find out but there are a couple of a couple of articles online now that do link her and they said it in the commentary as well so it must be true well football and family i noticed he was at the game he was at the game so you know divided loyalties or whatever but the fact that they're bringing on she's 
just turned 17 and they brought on Sophia Martin quite early, who's just turned 16, which blew my mind. I mean, the fact that they're they're bringing on those young subs, do you think that was just a kind of an attempt by Leanne Ross to go, I need to just put some energy into it and it kind of weirdly it kind of paid off because the one chance that they did have came from those two players yeah I saw Ross saying after the game that uh, you know if you're good enough you're old enough they're there because she thought they could make a difference that's why they came on Uh, I agree with you I think there's there's always that thing of putting on young players in big games that they're a bit fearless and when a game's so cagey you need that kind of fearless naivety almost to kind of break through that Mm -hmm. and as you say the, the best chance they had Sophia Martin does so well I mean she she the two of them combining uh, send haze, you know. You can see a, the way completely. that they're communicating with each other as well as it's happening. It, it looks really good. Yes, yeah, a really, really good move. Uh, Forrest is bearing down on goal and it's a great save from from Tahanar. Like that is a, a kind of no-brainer, one-on-one, big pitch, big goals, blah, blah, blah. It's just everything's opened up for her and she doesn't do that bad a job of finishing it. I think any time you don't score that, you'd say it's, a, you know, it's bad from the striker. But she picks a side, she kind of puts it in the corner and Pam just gets her leg out the complete opposite way and it's a yeah. stunning save at that time in the game. And you do feel for, for Martin Forrest just because that would have been such a moment for the two of them that age to do that at Hamden. I don't. Uh, but also I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this that was really close to the end of the game. There was another... It, they were They were clearly it was all up up their end. Like they were making all the play towards the last few minutes. Um, just because you could see that they would like, they were obviously desperate to get that goal and we were carrying on just doggedly, doggedly defending one of our little defensive moves by Natalie Ross resulted in her second yellow, which resulted in her being sent off at like 92 minutes, which I think we all threw our hands up in despair from the seats that we were sitting in. Yeah, watching it back, I I mean, I get it. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, again, this is a referee reffing with like no sense of context, no sense of a 50-50 challenge where nobody's actually got hurt. They're going to get the benefit of the free kick from it. There's no need for that second yellow. There really isn't. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a late it's a late tackle. Chinchilla's so fast, she nicks the ball ahead of her. Um, I don't really blame Natalie for going for it because again it's falling to their best player at the edge of the box you don't want her shooting Yeah. Uh, so I mean fair play to her but she'll be a huge miss for the final she's one of my favourite players I think she is a big game player that is huge for us and even more reason why Love Chance needs to get fit yeah absolutely I mean again on the commentary when I was watching it back you know Rachel Corsi said at the beginning she's one of those players who kind of she's been around in Scottish football for so long and she kind of gets overlooked and she's massively underrated and we we really really like her and she is she will be a huge miss that um yellow leads to a free kick which then like pam makes one last phenomenal save all our hearts are in our throats as we're just you know all all that time those last few minutes just felt like about 15 didn't they <laughs> they did to me anyway yeah, and you know, the chances fell, you know, particularly the set pieces fell to, you know, Davidson, you know, a, the top scorer in the league. It did feel, you know, when the the pessimism side of you sits in, you've just had a player sent off. They're only, it's a 20 yard free kick. It's like an absolute dream. It's kind of in the middle. So there's both sides completely free. Davidson's the top scorer in the league. Is this where she just plops us over the wall or to the side of the wall and they go on and win an extra time against 10 players? And I think, again, if it's not for the quality of Tahonar, that could have been the storyline. It could have been mm. that easy. Yeah. We won, though. 1-0. We saw it out. That goal at 20 minutes, we managed to hold on to a lead. I mean, it was, it's a stunning result, isn't it? And the fact that it um, leads to a final at the end of May between us and Rangers, which will be the first game, the first final that like we will have played and the fact that it will be at Hamden, I mean, it's going to be massive. Yeah, they ha- I mean, they have to, from a PR ticket sales standpoint, jump all over this. Has to be tickets in the gate. There has to be the clubs putting everything they can into it. Um, the the phrase old firm will be used a lot. It will be. But this, it's such an occasion here. Like, they have to jump all over it. I'm really nervous for it already. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, missing Ross and just the nature of that that final will be so intense. But we'll see how the league goes. I think that will play a big part in the narrative of it. and. 
Um, for us, keeping a clean sheet of hand in that semi against a team like Glasgow City, I think it's huge. Yeah. And it'll be really, really big for the confidence going into the final. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a really nervous run up to it. And I think everything that happens in the league from now till then, there's so much still to go, will really kind of G up and tee up the final for the, how intense it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, massive week for us in terms of three gate, three big games, three big wins, um, getting those six goals in Edinburgh as well as beating Glasgow City twice is like no mean feat as Fran was like really at pains to express like he was really really quite rightly so proud of the team and what they'd managed to do in terms of their fitness their training their focus everything that they did and it all played out on the pitch I mean on the opposite end of the scale like you've got a Glasgow City who I think I saw someone say at some point during the week you know have they ever lost three domestic games in a row Probably yep. not. <laughs> I think the only time they will have lost games like that will have been when they've had Champions League games in the mix. So, Definitely. like, for their morale, because that was the other big fear, wasn't it? You know, I said at the beginning of this, the fact that they had lost twice in the week, you know, that they would come out and go, right, we've really got a point to prove and that they couldn't do that. Mm. I, I just think we'll need to, the league, I think it really does change the narrative of the league. I think it really has to have an impact on City's morale I think they now also look... I think Rangers winning the league was a big deal because the Giants been slain, they're beatable, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think just in the context of a split, for them to have that points advantage they had and to see that slip with you know two six-pointers lost and then a cup semi-final lost, they just seem like... For me, they seem the third horse in the race, even though they're ahead. It's weird, it's, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really it's really back to Celtic and Rangers, which is just so... Intense and insane and makes that haze equaliser all the more amazing. Uh, it's going to be, the derbies against them are going to be huge. And I think we really need to be seeing the home tie against City as a game. We can win and we should go with that confidence that we beat this team now. This is this is what we mm. need to set as the narrative at the end of the season, is that City can't beat us. Mm. And we need to see what we can do against Rangers and really commit to those games and not let that slip. And the fact that they play each other on the last day of the season as well, it's going to... That is, ridic- that is ridiculous. <laughs> because it, also it could mean, you know, um, all things considered, um, knock on wood, if we can win out our games and put ourselves in that position, for us to be sitting, you know, waiting for... Um, we want to be in that last day thinking, if we win, we win the league. The idea of us watching a game, you know, at the Excelsior with our eyes on our phone for what's going on is insane <laughs> and I hate it. And even goal difference. Imagine we're counting goal difference in that last day. All this kind of stuff. You want it out the window. (laughs) Um, We will, let's focus on the more near future. We've got a game against Hibs at the weekend um, in the league. And it's a big clash with another big game, which is not ideal, is it? It is going to be... I think it's two o'clock kickoff and it's going to be on BBC Sports Scotland. So it will that be there and it will be online and it will be available to watch afterwards as well as they normally are. But the fact that it clashes with the semi-final for the men is just really galling. It's already like upsetting me. <laughs> yeah, the big thing I think that that will change is, is the this idea of um, foot on the gas, no complacency because there will not be a big crowd there. There'll, there'll barely be a crowd there if it's clashing with you know a semi-final against Rangers in the men's game. Um, so it's not to let the game go flat, to get an early goal and keep that lead and score some goals and you know treat it like the game it is. I think if we let the game go flat, then we could be falling into that trap of you know flat bitty game where we let one mistake kind of cost us and, and drop this whole league. Uh, I still don't think this team will do that. I've got a lot of faith in them, but that is the worry when when the games are like this. I don't think they will either. I've got a lot of faith, especially what they've managed to do. And I think they have got the momentum behind them to keep doing it. I also think, I don't know if you watched any of the Edinburgh Derby that was this week as well. Um, and Hearts managed to pull off. They they went behind, but Hearts managed to get back a penalty and make it a one or draw, which is, you know, Hibs have not been getting good results. I think the mm. last time they won a game was against Hamilton right back at the start of March. You know, then they're not a team at the moment that is used to going out and getting those results versus a Celtic team who have been sort of pulling stuff out of the bag, left, right and centre. So on paper, you know, we absolutely should be taking the three points for this one. But like it is, as everyone keeps saying, and it's such a cliche, but like everything's a cup final now because of the way that the league is sitting. So we just have to like maintain that focus maybe see some 
rotation in the squad. I don't know what you think about that. We talk about this on a regular basis. I yeah, know you won't. Uh, you won't want to, but I think no. we. But I think we might. <laughs> yeah, it's again. I, I continued to put my faith in the coaching staff that because I, I don't think they do rotate. You know, for the sake of it, which is good. You know, we saw the lineup against Hearts wasn't rotated for the sake of it. The star players were still in there. Um, for the most part, I feel like it's, it's something we can put in their hands to control appropriately, see who's fit, who needs a rest. There will be players need a rest. Um, and I think you should prioritise that. Uh, but I think if the ideal would be that we're up two or three at half time or something and we can start sitting players. But again, I leave that in their capable hands. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, there's not a huge amount more to say. I think um, we're going to be kind of divided loyalties between which game we're paying attention to on Sunday. Um, but like I said, there will be the opportunity to watch it online and to re-watch it. And I'm really hoping that we will be able to get a result. I think, no, there aren't any, I can't remember what the other two big teams are playing, but I would imagine looking at it on paper, this is a weekend where Rangers, Glasgow City and us all go in and manage to kind of basically keep our position in the table. Yeah, it's one of those holding pattern weeks in a title race. Keep keep in touch. Yeah, which we kind of need after all the drama that we've had. It's been big. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted now just talking about it. <laughs> but it has been very enjoyable. Thank you very much for being here to share it with me, Lorenzo. And for, well, we were sharing it on the day. We were sat by each other, as I said. Yeah, no problem. Always fun. Um, it's been great. We will be back to talk about that Hibs game and what's coming up next week. I've been Claire Wilde. He's been Lorenzo Pacitti. And this has been the Celtic Women's Football Show. Mm-hmm.